Welcome again, everyone. We are so glad you're here today. I know we've got some first-time guests. Thank you for coming today. We love having you with us. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there and everyone connecting online. We're so glad that we have that technology and you can connect with us there. Please know that in the chat feature there, you can communicate with us. We have people live on site that are, are responding to your questions and be happy to answer any questions you might have. So feel free to comment there. Let us know where you're listening from. And uh, if you have any prayer requests, you could share those there. Thank you for connecting that way today. In the next few minutes, we're going to be looking at one of the most unique passages of Scripture in all the Bible. We're in a series uh, from the book of Daniel, and we've been looking at how we can stand firm and love well at the same time in a culture of compromise. And we've been looking at the first few chapters already, and today we're going to pick up with Daniel chapter 4 and look at a few verses there. This chapter of the Bible is one of the most unique because of this. It's written by this pagan, evil monarch, King Nebuchadnezzar. Can you believe that? That part of the Holy Scripture, the Bible, is written by someone who was so evil so bad. Now, we don't know exactly how this was done. It could be that, that the king just told this story to Daniel and he wrote it down. That's most likely what happened. We don't know for sure, but he's the author. He's the one telling this portion of scripture that we read. Nebuchadnezzar was, in a, was, was as evil as you could get. When, when they came in and conquered, by the way, he, he's the king of, uh, of Babylon. And Babylon is where modern-day Iraq is now. And, and uh, Babylon was probably just south of where Baghdad is right now. Uh, and uh, he, he has such an evil, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was so evil that when he went in and conquered Judah, he had the king of Judah under arrest and in his captivity, and he captured his sons, the, uh, the king of Judah's sons, and plucked out their eyes right in front of their father. Execu I'm sorry, he executed them right in front of their father, and then he plucked out the father's eyes, so that would be the last thing he saw, was the execution of his sons. That's how evil he was. He wanted to hurt them, to punish them, to make them suffer when he conquered them. And yet, he writes this portion of Scripture for us. Let's look at Daniel chapter 4. Let's start with verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, so he identifies who it is that's doing this, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Does that sound like an evil dictator? It doesn't, does it? And the rest of these verses we're going to look at today are going to surprise you even more from an evil dictator. Here's what he says. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, sat at my home in my palace, content and prosperous. This evil dictator sounds like a praise and worship leader, doesn't he? This sounds like it could be a song that we do in the service today. This chapter is unique for another reason. Not only is it written by an evil dictator who now seems like he's a praise and worship leader, it's written with kind of a reverse chronology approach. Now, a lot of movies are done that way. You start, you know, it introduces where they're at at the end of the movie at the beginning, 
And then it goes to telling the story of how they ended up where they are, right? That reverse chronology effect. And that's how this chapter is written. When we read these first five verses, it's like the end of what he's talking about in the chapter. And then he leads into the story that leads up to how he got to this place where he's offering this praise and offering this glory to the Most High God. And the story is an interesting one. I, I want you to go back and read in more detail chapter 4. I'm not going to read all the passages today because I want to get to the, the lesson that we're going to look at. And I'm going to kind of tell you kind of a synopsis of what's going on here. The king, he says, was prosperous. He was doing great, but he had this dream. Now, remember the way he got prosperous was through doing terrible things, right? He, 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 he was really abusive. He, he really made people suffer to conquer others and, and build his kingdom. But he had great success with that. But he had this dream, and it disturbed him greatly. And in this dream, there were these visions. It was a vision of this great big tree that reached to the sky, and it had all this fruit, and all the animals came and, and, and ate from the fruit of the tree and, and enjoyed the shade and all of that, and they were, it was just magnificent. And then this, this being came down from heaven and said, chop down the tree, but leave the roots and the stumps and, and all of that. And, and he saw that it was going to be chopped down and destroyed, and, and the whole vision was about how this beautiful thing was going to be completely wiped out and it was to become something terrible and ugly. And it scared him when he had the dream. And you know, you remember over the last few weeks, if you missed any of these messages, they're on our YouTube channel. You can go back and get them there. You remember that he's had dreams before and he had people that he would call in to interpret his dreams for him, right? Well, he called his advisors in that he called often for advice and counsel and uh, and asked them to interpret the dream. They said, we don't really know what this dream means. Maybe you had bad Taco Bell like, too late last night or something. We don't know. We're not sure what it is. Uh, and can't explain it for you. Uh, Taco Bell will do that to you. I'm sorry if you, you know, work for Taco Bell. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, they didn't say that, but they said, we don't know. And then he remembered, all right, Daniel, he's the chief over all these advisors now. Remember, Daniel's been blessed and, and given this responsibility in Babylon, and, and the king respected him and his, his uh, advice and counsel. So he calls Daniel in, and Daniel didn't want to tell him the meaning of the dream. When he, when, when he prayed about it and he, he knew the meaning of the dream and he knew how bad it was for Nebuchadnezzar, he tried to kind of get out of telling him what the dream meant. And the king said, no, Daniel, whatever it is, don't worry about it, just tell me what this dream really means. And Daniel said, okay, I'll tell you. The tree is you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You're on top of the world, you think. You think you got everything and got it made. But God says you're going to be cut down. Now, he's going to allow you to remain alive. There's going to be that remnant there that's bound, but you're going to become, he said, like an animal living out in the wild. You're going to be cast off your throne, cast out of your kingdom. You're going to live out in the wilderness like an animal. Your hair is going to be like feathers on a bird. Your fingernails are going to grow out really long. And you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go stark raving mad through this time. Of course, the king didn't want to hear that. We know nobody wants to get bad news like that. But Daniel said, but you're going to have to go through this until you repent. And acknowledge the most high God and all of his glory. So God was giving King Nebuchadnezzar a chance either for this not to happen at all 
or for it to only be a short time that he would have to go through this if he would be willing to repent to get his life straightened out. Now, now this is important because I, I want you to see how we connect that to how it could apply to us today. We, we think today that we have this idea of what it means to be successful, don't we? I mean, in, in America especially, we've got this American dream of what success looks like. And we think if we could just get there. So today I'm going to use a little illustration. I don't always do this with visual aids like this, but you see I got a ladder up here with me, right? I'm not climbing a ladder today, all right? My wife will tell you, though, this is just one of two ladders I have. And at my house, to clean out the gutters, I have another extension ladder I put on the ground. I take this one on the roof so that I can get from one level of the roof up to the next level of our roof, okay? This is the ladder I get to use to get up to the highest point of our house so I can clean out the gutters up there. She hates it when she sees this ladder. She doesn't want to know that I'm up there climbing a ladder on top of the roof and trying to get up on another part of the roof. I understand, you know, her concern, and I appreciate it, but i got to clean the gutters again soon. So, all right, here, here's a ladder, and I'm going to call this today the ladder of success, okay? That's what we're going to look at. This represents the ladder of success. You've heard about it your whole life, probably. Uh, when you're born in this country, you're taught you need to be successful, not just here in America. Immigrants that come from other countries are taught if you come here, you can have success, right? There's opportunities there for you to be successful, and we all have this idea, of what that means and what that looks like. And, and we're going to talk today about Nebuchadnezzar's climb up the ladder of success and where it got him so that we might can learn some lessons ourselves about this ladder of success in our lives and maybe rethink what we are saying success looks like. So let's start with the very first step on the ladder is the focus for our success, okay? That's the first step, the focus for our success. Nebuchadnezzar's focus, it looks like as you read scripture and see everything that he did, his focus seemed to be to impress other people. He wanted other people to be impressed with him and who he was and what he was able to accomplish. Uh, you remember before in chapter three, he built this altar, right? This golden image. And what did he want everybody to do? Bow down to this golden image, okay? He wanted it to be where I'm controlling all the people. They're all looking at me, and they're all obeying my commands, right? So his focus was he wanted to be impressive to other people. History tells us that this same Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens in Babylon. He, he built those while he was reigning and ruling in Babylon. He built an artificial mountain. There wasn't that mountain there. He built it and, and had these plants put there that would make this beautiful hanging garden. And people would come from all over the world to see the hanging gardens of Babylon. He wanted people to be impressed with him and his power and his riches and his rule in that area of the world. When it comes to success, I think sometimes we start out thinking it's about what other people think of me. That's how I define success. How do they see me? When they look at me, are they impressed with me and who I am? I mean, it's, it's common, right? And, and it's normally, I think, just a response of the flesh to living in the world that we live in. We like for other people to be impressed with us, don't we? It, it feeds our egos, 
if other people are impressed with us. And so if we think that's what the first level, first step toward success is, then we'll start living in a way like Nebuchadnezzar did, making decisions based on, will this make me impressive in the world? Will people look up to me and, and, and revere me if I do these things? And so the first step is the focus for our success. The second step is, all right, if that's the focus, then what's the motivation that's going to drive us, okay? The motivation for our success. I believe that for Nebuchadnezzar and for a lot of people, the focus for success is simply personal gain. I just want to get everything I can get, right? We've talked about it before, get rich or die trying, right? Because success in the American culture is you become wealthy. And, and, or you get the stuff, all the stuff that has the trappings of success. Nebuchadnezzar's palace that he built for himself, that he had built for him, was 350 yards long, okay? And this palace... I've seen houses that are pretty big. How many of you have been to the Biltmore? Biggest house in America, right? The Biltmore Mansion. It's huge. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. The Biltmore Mansion is 175,000 square feet, approximately. Right around 175,000 square feet. It's huge, right? Now, an average house in America today is about 2,500 square feet. That's big, and that's become the average now. But the Biltmore is 175,000 square feet. His mansion, his mansion was 630,000 square feet. That's how big it was. You think he's trying to impress? Do you think it's about personal gain for him? But before we just think, all right, he's so evil. I understand he's just an evil person. He's so out of line with that. What are we doing? Do we think we've got to have a certain brand clothes? Or we're not successful? Live in a certain neighborhood? Get a certain educational degree? Do we have to drive a certain kind of car or we won't appear to be successful, right? What is it that drives us when we think about climbing the ladder of success? What is our motivation for doing what we do? One person did a survey. Uh, I think it was Barner Research that I got this from, a survey of, of how do you measure success? And they didn't ask just Christians. They asked a lot of Christians, but a lot of other people too in this survey. And it came down to the number one thing is this. The way you measure success is you keep score, and the way you keep score is with money and possessions. That's how you define success. How much money you got, what possessions do you have? That defines success. Now, keep in mind, the Bible doesn't condemn money or possessions. That's not where we're going with this. It's just that we're talking about motivation. What's driving us in our life in doing what we think is a successful life, accomplishing a successful life while we're here? Well, the next step on the ladder is the standard for success, okay? The standard. I think, like most people, Nebuchadnezzar's standard of success was how he compared to others. 
Don't we play the comparison game all the time too? We do it all the time. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to have the most. He wanted to be the most powerful, have the biggest palace, rule over the most uh, part, uh, biggest part of the earth, the more landmass. He wanted to, to he, he so much wanted this that he would brutally go conquer other kingdoms around him, other, other provinces around him, and completely destroy them so that he could dominate over them. He was determined that the standard was nobody else can have what I have. Nobody else can, can rule over what I rule over. Nobody else can have as much stuff as I have. Because the way I know I'm successful is I'm at the top when it comes to all of that. And I think in America especially, but in other parts of the world too, this idea of having more than anybody else to playing the comparison game is a real problem. And I'll tell you what's contributed more to it recently than anything else. Social media contributes more to it than anything else. Because can't you play the comparison game on social media all day long, every day? You know those pictures aren't real, right? You know they were staged. You know they're filtered, right? You know that that family just had a great big fight before they all stopped and smiled for the picture. They were arguing about who's touching who and who's going to be in the front. And who's going to, you know that was going on before they snapped the shot. And if they didn't get it snapped at the right time, on social media, you don't have to post it till you get what you want, right? You could take 50 pictures and just pick one and filter it and make it look good. So we're comparing ourselves to something that's not even reality now. It's fake. Now, I'm not saying everything there is fake. I'm saying it's easy to fake something there. And if you're playing the comparison game, you're never going to win this. Because this comparison thing is a moving target all the time. You post a pic with your new car and you're so proud of it and you love it until you see your friend got one nicer than you did. Right? Now you're not so happy with your car anymore because it's about the comparison game. They can't have something better than me or I'm not successful now if they've got something better than me. I think that was driving Nebuchadnezzar big time. The comparison game. You see, you can get pretty cruel and pretty brutal if that's how you define success in your life. Because not only do you want to get better, you don't want them to have anything as good as you. Because you don't look as successful if they do. And so you don't mind hurting them, tearing them down, undercutting other people so that they can't be at the same level you are. You see how it can get really mean when you're playing the comparison game? It can be something that leads us into not treating other people well at all. If it's all about the comparison game. Nebuchadnezzar built a wall around Babylon. It says this wall was 38 feet high and 21 feet wide. You know why he wanted it that wide? So he could have two-lane highway at the top for chariots. They could pass by each other on top of the wall. Because nobody else had a wall like that. He wanted a wall like that. You see how crazy it can get? They didn't even need to have chariots on the wall, by the way. There's no need for it. 
but he was so determined to have something other people didn't have. And so he would waste lots of money and lots of energy trying to top anybody else that had ever ruled in the world. And he would treat people really, really terribly. Well, the next step is the power for success. If we are going to be successful, how are we going to do it? Well, we know that for Nebuchadnezzar, we know from his own words that what he thought was the power for his success was himself. He really believed he did all this, that he was the one making all this happen, that he was the one conquering and achieving and, and accumulating all this stuff. It was by his own will and his own power that he was doing it. In fact, if you look later in chapter 4, verse 30, he's looking out over his kingdom and he says this, this was accomplished by my mighty power when he was at the top. It's all me. I'm the one that did this. And you know, when you start having some success, one of the greatest dangers is ego starts to creep in, even if you didn't have it before. Even if ego wasn't a problem for you. Here's what I know. In our culture and in most cultures around the world, if you start having some success in the eyes of the world, people treat you differently, don't they? You start getting privileges. You start getting invited to things that you used to not be invited to, including, included in groups that you were never a part of before because you look like you're successful now. You publish a book after you get to a certain level. Everybody wants your book, right? You publish a book before you get to that level. Nobody wants to buy your book. You have to look successful, right? That's just the way it works. And when you start getting treated with special privilege, you start thinking more highly of yourself sometimes than you should. I know even as a pastor, it's, it, it's, uh, I, I enjoy it when people, you know, want to say, I want to do something for you or give you a special privilege or, you know, comp you some tickets. or something. I love that. That's great. I don't, I don't want to deny anybody that pleasure, okay? I think that's good. But, but here's the deal. I know that I've been invited to be in groups now and speak at events now that we grew to be a bigger church than, that I never were, was invited to before that. And I was the same guy then. I mean, I, I may have matured a little more. I, obviously, I've gotten older. But, but I was pretty much the same guy. But they never thought to invite me when we were a smaller church, right? I probably would have said the same thing then that I would say now to try to teach and equip and help people. But you see, you get treated differently when you have some of the trappings of what the world calls success. And when you start getting treated like you're special, you start thinking you're special. And I don't mean special. I mean special, okay? There's a difference. You know the difference, okay? Not bless your heart, but really special, right? <laughs> really special. And so the ego can get out of control. And when the ego gets out of control, you start thinking it's by your power. You start thinking and you start taking credit for everything good in your life. And you start wanting to get the credit for everything good in your life. You make sure, you know, if they do an article or do a talk about you or something, you give, you give me the credit for anything that they're talking about that's a good thing, right? You make sure you mention my name. Make sure you get my picture in the article, all of that. You want to be sure that it's about you because you think you're the one that is responsible for the success that you're having. Well... That leads to the final step, 
And that is, well, what is really the purpose of success anyway, right? What is the purpose of your success? Because if you start down here with this worked out already, it'll make a difference on how you climb the ladder. So you have to determine what is the purpose for your success. Well, for Nebuchadnezzar, it's obvious all of this was to advance himself. That was what was behind everything he did was to advance himself. There's no doubt about it. Go back and read the details. And some of the details are gruesome of what happened to him when God punished him and all that. We'll get to that in just a minute. But, but the way he got there was only looking out for Nebuchadnezzar. He was never thinking about how can I bless other people? How can I make life better for other people? How can I, uh, how can I be somebody that, that contributes to the good of society? That was never the driving force of what he was doing even though he was having what he thought was great success all along the way. And so he reaches the pinnacle. He reaches the top by advancing himself all the way through. And that's how most of us climb the ladder of success. If we don't learn better somewhere along the way here, how we need to shift our focus in these areas of what it means to be successful. Most of us would climb the ladder not maybe as ruthless as Nebuchadnezzar, but with the same guiding principles if we're just wanting to climb the ladder of success. It would be about focusing on the wrong things and being motivated by the wrong things and having the wrong standards and, and thinking we're the power behind it and the purpose is all about it. It's just to advance ourselves. You, don't, you take Christ out of the equation, you take God out of the equation, this is the way most people will climb the ladder or try at least to climb the ladder of success. And some people are really good at this, and they can reach what they consider to be some level of success. But no matter what level you get to here, again, if you've played the comparison game with the standards that you've got, well, somebody else is even higher than that now. So where do you go now? How long can you be content here or here when somebody else is now here, Right? There, there's never, it's a moving target. There's never a place that you get to where you can just say, that's it now. I know I'm a success if this is all the motivating factors for you. So in the time we've got left, here's what I want us to see. I want us to come back down the ladder and reevaluate how we ought to look at these things, okay? Um, Nebuchadnezzar ended up uh, refusing to repent after Daniel talked to him and interpreted the dream. He kept on going the way he was going. And he looked out over his kingdom, like I said there in, in the, later in the chapter, and he said, it's all by my great power that all this has happened. And immediately it says, all the stuff Daniel told him the dream meant happened to him. He was run out of his kingdom. He was uh, cast out into the wilderness. And he started living like an animal. He lost his mind. He, he was one of those people you would look at, you know, uh, that you would just say by looking at him, this guy, he's got real problems, right? I mean, he was repulsive to people in the way he looked and acted. He went from what he thought was the very top of the ladder all the way back down to the bottom again. But when he got to the bottom, sometimes, you know, you've heard the saying, rock bottom teaches you something that, that being at the top can never teach you. Right. Hopefully we can learn it without having to hit rock bottom, though. That's the point of the lesson today. If we can learn it before we hit rock bottom, we're better off. Right. But it took rock bottom for Nebuchadnezzar to learn. 
may be the purpose of my life. And if I have any success, the purpose of it isn't to advance myself. Maybe the purpose is to bring glory to God. With whatever success I have or don't have, maybe the purpose is to glorify God. And if we look at the whole of the teaching of Scripture, we find that human beings were created in the image of God. We're created not only in His image, but we're created for Him. And we're created with this purpose of glorifying Him. So if we're down here thinking about the ladder of success, we need to start with here, what's the purpose that I want to have success for? What is it all about? What's going to drive me up the ladder here? Is it to glorify God? Is it to give me opportunities, resources, ways that I can bring glory to God? Because God defines success with us fulfilling the purpose he created us for. That's how he defines success. Is are we fulfilling the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God? And if that's true, if that's really the purpose that we're going to live with, then we have to acknowledge that the power for that is not us, it's him, right? If we have any good thing happen, the Bible makes it clear, every good and perfect gift comes from where? From God, from the Father above. Every good good thing in our lives, it comes from him. He's the source. He's the power, okay? So we can't take credit for that. Any good thing, we can't take credit for it as if it's our power that has accomplished that. It doesn't mean we shouldn't work hard. It doesn't mean we shouldn't put forth the effort. Of course we should, because we want to glorify God. That's the purpose. So if we're doing it for the right purpose, he will empower us. And as Christians, we have a great resource here because the Bible says that when we're baptized into Christ, he gives us a gift, amazing, beautiful, wonderful gift to fulfill our purpose with, the Holy Spirit. That's God himself in spirit, indwelling us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us as Christ followers. That's the power that will allow us to live a successful life in the eyes of God. We walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. Then we start thinking about the standard. If we've got this figured out, Well, then what's the standard of success? It's not comparing ourselves to anybody else. The standard is really simple. It's not complicated at all. It's obedience. Are we being faithful to what God has called us to? Pastors struggle with this. I I love being part of pastors groups, and I see pastors and work with pastors all the time, and I'm mentoring some younger pastors now. And I see younger pastors especially, and I was there too. I remember You look at other pastors that are at bigger churches and, you know, they're getting more accolades and they're getting a lot of attention. And you think, well, I'm not a successful pastor if I don't reach some of those standards, right? But what if they were just faithful at a small church throughout their whole ministry? They just honored God and loved people. Would that be success in the eyes of God? Amen. Absolutely. That's success. And whether you work at, uh, at what the world calls a low-level job or a mid-level or high-level, if, if at that job and in, that, in your family you're faithful and you honor God and how you live your life, is that success in the eyes of God? Is that the standard you ought to look at? Yes, absolutely. You don't have to make it on the list of the world's 10 richest people. 
in the eyes of God to be successful. Well, then what's the motivation going to be? Well, if this is your purpose, then you're motivated by decisions that will honor God, right? That will bring glory to him. Your motivation is not to lift yourself above others, but it's to, it's to make sure others are pointed to Christ through your life and through your example and your teaching, your influence. Your motivation helps you know that with the time and the energy and resources, whatever God allows you to have, it's not about personal gain. You see, now, if you, if you follow these things, your motivation is going to be, all right, with the success that I'm enjoying, with the blessings that I have in my life, I want to make sure I bless others. I'm not going to make this all about me. I want God to use me to bless other people. My wife, my husband, my kids, my community, my coworkers. Will I be a blessing to them? He said, that starts becoming more the motivation for doing what you're doing. Are you blessing other people? And that leads to the, the first one we started with, right? The focus of success. For Nebuchadnezzar, impressing other people, right? For Christ followers, there's only one person I want to impress. And I want to challenge you, I want to challenge all of us to think of it this way. When we get to the end of our lives and stand before the Father... More than anything else, here's all that's going to matter that you hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that matters. That's success in the eyes of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that today we've had the example of Nebuchadnezzar, both as a bad example, but also as a good example. When he hit rock bottom, he turned and decided that he did need to acknowledge you and give glory to you and be grateful to you. It doesn't mean he got his life all figured out, but it does mean that he learned some things we need to learn today. Wherever we are on this idea of climbing the ladder of success, Father, I pray that all of us would be challenged today to rethink what success looks like. And to live with that vision of standing before you one day in your presence and all of your glory. And hearing those words that mean more than anything else. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Father, help us to reorient our lives to climbing the ladder that you want us to climb. The way you want us to climb it. So that you receive glory and honor and praise and others are blessed by our lives, and are led to you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.